Our reading today is taken from Luke 6, starting at verse 27. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much as again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you and great to be here. I've had so many remarks about how smart I am, but that's because we had a baptism at nine o'clock. So uh, Paddy and I, Paddy actually had his collar on um, and we were both looking smart for that. So please forgive me and I'm looking enviously at Matt's shorts on the front row. Um, In four weeks' time, we will be uh, probably about as sweaty as we are now, finishing the summer conference. And I just wanted to say, just for a a quick moment, um, one of the reasons we do this is because today, there are going to be five different congregations meeting in three locations that are all part of the same church. A bunch of us live in these villages. 
Some of us live in the surrounding villages, Storrington, Stenning. Uh, some of us live even further, Southwater, Horsham, Worthing, and all of that. So it's incredibly difficult to reflect the early church who were devoted to one another and one in heart and mind without some decent time. So the goal of this weekend is to create time and space for God to work amongst us. Like that glorious moment we had just at the end where it felt like glory was just coming in. We have to stop that because we're not collecting children. Or, or we might be, but we're going to be there all weekend. And we get also to go deep with one another, to include those who are new or on the edges, to refresh our relationships with those who've been serving the Lord in other congregations. And we get to gather around Jesus and catch fresh instructions for the year ahead. So I'd love to say to you, I'd, I'd really value you coming and booking in. And the reason we're in a field is when we all get together, actually none of our churches can accommodate those numbers uh, across the five congregations uh, without breaking health and safety and without rigorous amounts, voluminous amounts of sweat pouring over the next person. We bunch together, a bit like we were in the ministry time yesterday, the teaching day. We were so sticky at the end of it. <laughs> um, so we've just created some space in a field in Whiston to get together. It, it probably feels a bit expensive to some of you. We, we made a loss last year. We're trying to budget it not to make a loss. That's why it, we basically put it what it costs. Some are giving more than that to help others. Some are only giving what they can. And some can give barely anything at all. But we don't want anyone to miss out. So if finances are an issue, then please reach out to your KFC leader or to Pippa or to any of the team and we'd love to help you. If being precious over your weekends an issue, please deal with it. <laughs> and come, because it's going to be awesome and we're excited. All right? <laughs> okay, let's get into this passage and um, we'll look at it today. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your kindness to us. And I need your help now, Holy Spirit. Um, and we all do. And so we really ask, Spirit of Truth, comforter, the one who comes to always glorify Jesus. Thank you for your presence here, but would you just come now more strongly and more clearly to us. In your name we pray. Amen. I was rereading a missionary diary this week, and I was reading the story of a missionary family serving in Central Africa. And they had a vision to share Jesus with uh, particularly some of the far-flung tribes um, in the sort of dense uh, outback um, who didn't know the Lord Jesus or never had, had him shared with them. And so uh, one day the missionary struck out and... Uh, went to a village where, to his knowledge, no one had ever taken Jesus there before. And when he arrived there, he walked straight into the middle of the village. He summoned everyone's attention. And in a loud voice, he began to tell them about Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man who came and gave his life for them. The villagers who heard him uh, bristled, 
went to their homes, grabbed their machetes, grabbed their clubs, and began to beat him. He was macheted to death. And in under 60 minutes of him arriving in this village, he lost his life. They cut off his hands. They cut off his feet. They cut out his tongue to silence his proclamation of Jesus. It took a few days, but the news filtered back to his family. And when his wife heard the news... Her husband had been killed, hands cut off, feet cut off, tongue cut out. She gathered her family, gathered everyone around, and they knelt on the ground and praised the Lord. See, Jesus gives us such a thrilling exciting, exhilarating ministry. But he gives us a radical, life-losing teaching. And some of that is contained in these verses today. To love our enemies. Do good to those who hate us. To bless those who persecute us. Pray for those who abuse us. They knelt on the ground and praised God and prayed for those who'd done this. This morning, we're going to look at those hard teachings of Jesus. But just now, take a moment. Some of, one or two of us may have, but none of us here are in those extreme missionary situations. Who is your enemy from the past or in the present who is your enemy who hates you who's persecuting you and Jesus says we've got to love them Jesus says we've got to love them I think this is one of the most radical teachings and also one of the teachings which distinguishes Christianity from everything else. So I want to look at, for a few moments, what and why Jesus is getting at this. Secondly, why is it so crucial and powerful? And thirdly, how could it apply to us? It's really interesting that Jesus drops this in in the middle of a supernatural tour. I mean, we've been reading all the good stuff, haven't we? All the sort of Chank 101, you know, kingdom ministry. We've been to the synagogue and healed the withered hand. Um, We've been praying all night. We've been appointing apostles. We've had the paralytic um, healed in heart and body. Uh, all that supernatural fun stuff, why does Jesus drop this teaching in now? And the key is, if we look back in in chapter 6, if you look at um, 
verse uh, 11 in chapter 6, we've seen what's been swirling really since the birth of Jesus when Simeon said, when he was brought to the temple, you'll be the cause of many to rise and fall. And he said to his mother, a sword will pierce your heart because of this child. And what's happened as Jesus goes on his supernatural miracle tour, uh, what happens is around him, you cannot escape the opposition. You cannot escape the resistance. And here in verse 11, we see where they've been accusing him or trying to lay traps or to trick him. We see that things are, things are going to another level. In, cha in chapter 6, verse 11, it says, But they were filled with fury. Such a strong word. They weren't just like grumbling and muttering and, and gossiping about Jesus. They were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the first time actually it moves from resistance and accusation to now we may have to do something about this guy. The story I just told you is where the tribe rose up against and had to silence the proclamation of Jesus and you see that the the teachers the scribes the Pharisees that in their fury are beginning now to plot and to resist Jesus but Jesus continues it's still flowing and even just before this passage this uh, sort of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount we see Jesus you look at verse 19 all the crowd were trying to touch him for power came out of him I love that. It's almost like Jesus is like healing everybody, but it's almost like he's not having to say, be led from the front, stretch out your hand, ask them what you'd like Jesus to do. You know, it's almost like power is just radiating out of him. So Jesus is, is not stopping his flow to give a radical message, but now he drops this in and he's preparing the disciples to be prolific in kingdom ministry and to be prolific in bearing a kingdom heart. And so he says now, I presume because you're going to have enemies, you're going to need to love them. And you need to pray for them and to bless them because you will be persecuted. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And uh, against this sort of backdrop of rising hatred, he's preparing his followers. Now let's just look at loving our enemies. And who thinks that's a great idea? Yeah, well, well I, you know, I, I used to work in, in schools, and it's a sort of verse that gets put on school classrooms because it's, it's some of the supreme moral teaching of Jesus. And, and so all of us would probably agree that this works really well, but when it's personalized, I wriggle out of it. <laughs> because when I think about someone I might, even if I admitted it, put in the category of being an enemy... What I want to do is take them into the woods and give them a thrashing. <laughs> I want to reach for my cricket bat and do some damage <laughs> because there's an injustice and there's a wrong and there's something that needs calling to account and it needs dealing with. And it rises within us. Uh, you know, if we, if we really think to ourselves, who would we say falls into that category in our hearts and minds from our past or our present? We might say, yeah, Jesus in general means love our enemies, but this person needs a good thrashing. But Jesus doesn't seem to qualify it. 
He doesn't seem to qualify it when people swindle us. He doesn't seem to qualify it when people uh, strike us physically. He doesn't seem to qualify it in any way. Now, the one qualification I would say is to hear these verses in the one-to-one relational context of being Jesus' followers. Because what we have to remember is Jesus isn't giving teaching here for how you should run nations. Romans 13 says we need to be subject to our civic governing authorities who bear the sword on our behalf. Jesus doesn't say, if you are appointed prime minister, just let everybody do anything. You know, he, he, what, what the teaching of Romans 13 is, is we need to honor because they've been appointed by God for the peace and harmony of how a nation works. So we better pray for them. Or sometimes, you know, in other contexts, let's think about the church for a moment. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is about to say goodbye to the church in uh, which would become the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesian elders. And, and he basically prepares them. He doesn't say, just love everybody that comes in. Just have a boundaryless context. He says, from within you, savage wolves will arise. And they will incite people and seek to lead people away from the flock. So be prepared. Be on your watch. Guard against this. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's dealing with a heinous issue of immorality. You remember it. I mean, it's shocking, like even today. I say even today. It's shocking. Basically, someone has got together and set up a relationship with his father's wife. So there must be an age thing there. (laughs) And it's just wrong. Now, Paul says, oh, love him, bless him. No, Paul says, expel the immoral brother. Hand him over to Satan so that he might come to repentance and be one again. So in situations, there are principles laid down for the establishing of peace and order. But in the one-to-one relational context of being followers of Jesus, in how relational unity works and how we're to be to people in the world, we're to love our enemies. No exception. None of you are prime minister, so you have no exception to grab your sword. (laughs) We're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Because when we do, verse 35, we are becoming true children of the Most High. For He, the Most High, God, is merciful It is kind to the merciful and the wicked. So be merciful, just as your father is merciful. You know, I think if you look at most families, you'll say, if they've got more than one child, half the kids look like the mum and half the kids look like the dad. There's a resemblance. You know, sometimes people will say, one or both of my sons, they look like a chip off the old. There's a likeness, a resemblance. I can see that in some of your children. So when we are loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us and abuse us, blessing people, we are becoming chips off the old. 
we're stepping into the likeness of what God is like. Because I was filthy to him. I was lost and broken. I was resistant. There's times in my life where I know that I hated God. And yet he reached down and was merciful to me. He sent Jesus when I didn't ask for it, didn't deserve it. And he's, because he's merciful to me, when I do that, I'm reflecting his nature and his heart, which never changes and is gloriously wonderful. So that's the why. The power of this is incredible. And we see some of the power of this when, when people have done outrageous acts in society or in history of peace in the face of war or those sorts of things. But let's just dig into the power of this. There's so much in this passage, but I just want to pick one example. So I could do with someone um, who reminds you of a wealthy, powerful master of a household. Um, so thank you, Matt. Um, that's brilliant. Um, so, um, if you could just stand sort of in the middle just by Libby, and I could do with someone who reminds you of an incredible servant who is, is, is in, is in no, no, face this way, and, and you're go, I'm going to find someone who's an incredible servant who just happens to be working in your house and tidying up and putting the clothes away, doing the ironing, Sarah. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, you never do the ironing. Okay, is that Matt's job? Thank you. Well done, Matt. Yeah, he doesn't do ironing. Okay, so um, John, thank you. Um, brilliant. So let's think for a moment, because when Jesus said... Um, as we find in this passage, when Jesus said, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. Okay. When Jesus taught that, when Jesus taught that, how they would have heard this, they would have all thought of what goes on when people have slaves, when people have servants. And in that culture, the master of the house would discipline through striking. Now, they do that in a particular way. Now, John, come, cl- come a bit closer to Matt. I want you here. So. Now, he is less than the slave owner, the master of the house. And in Jewish culture, and remember, Jesus is talking to Jews at, at the moment, you'd never use your left hand because it would be considered unclean. So you'd have to use your right hand. But... How they did it then is they would take their right hand and they would strike them with the back of it because it would be also a symbol of degrading and demeaning, putting down the person. So it's violence and it's demeaning them. So Matt, in slow-mo, just give John, give John, yeah, just, okay. So, so, John, so you come over here, brilliant, keep going, keep going. So now, keep going, you're going to give him a real belt and now your hands up. Stay there, chaps, stay there, chaps. Now, we know this is what Jesus was teaching because in Matthew's version of this, Jesus actually says, when someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer the other one. So we know this is what Jesus was talking about. Now, stay there, Matt. Stay there, Matt. Now, if he's to offer the other one, which one's he going to offer? His left cheek. So now John's going to turn back. And it's almost impossible, unless he comes right round the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a lobster. So, um, it's always, so Matt now has to strike him with the open palm. So now what's going on? John has, has now come back. He's looked him squarely in the face and he's offered his left cheek to, for Matt to strike with his open palm. Now what he's saying to Matt is, 
you might have degraded me and treated me as less than you, but now you've got to, now you've got to hit me with the best part. I'm on the same level as you, is what that stance says. I'm not less than you, so you may have used violence to put me down and degrade me, but I am on the same level as you. I'm not coming under the demeaning degradation of what's going on. So now you'd have to strike him that way. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Well done. Brilliant. Now, what's, the, what's, what's Jesus getting at here? So when you offer that, what, what goes on next? What goes on is what always happens when good meets hate, when blessing meets cursing, when prayer meets abuse, when love is extended to enemies. It always happens because I think when the, when the slave would offer his other cheek, he could offer that in defiance, but that doesn't seem to be the heart of anything that Jesus is saying. But when he offers it round, then that master's going to feel one of two things. He's either going to be enraged at the insolence of John forcing him to use his open hand, or he's going to be convicted of his heinous act of violence and degradation. You know, where, you know what is it so powerful about Luther King? is that in the face of abuse, he was so gracious. And eventually it convicted the heart, didn't it? Eventually it just it unmasked people's hate. And in the end, they were like, they had their eyes open in the end. Now, you can see this pattern with Jesus already. He's doing nothing wrong. All he's doing up to this point is scattering life liberating people, healing people, bringing joy and hope. All these but, but it's almost like the ante's upping each time and there's this rising hatred and eventually it's going to be poured out on him when he goes to the cross. But it's almost like Jesus keeps offering back his cheek and that will do one of two things. It will either increase the hate temporarily or it will puncture it through conviction. And that's the power of what's going on. I know probably as well as you do from other stories or in your own life when you have extended forgiveness or blessing when people don't deserve it. It either makes them a bit more mad but so often it's just like everything falls. It's like, oh. And it, it, allows, it allows the space for someone to come into personal conviction of the depths of bitterness or hatred or blackness of their own heart. Does this make sense? That story of the missionary family. She knelt down with her family and those who were around her, praised God, prayed for the village. Do you know what she did next? She gathered up her things. She kissed her children. She went to the same village. She walked into the middle of the town. A village. She walked into the middle, raised her voice, and said, A few days ago, my husband was here. He told you about Jesus, and you killed him. And I've come here today to tell you that I love you, and I forgive you. I've come here because 
you didn't hear it last time, to tell you again about Jesus, that he loves you. And you can cut off my hands and cut off my feet and cut out my tongue. But tomorrow there'll be another person who'll do the same and another. And a thousand more will come after me to tell you that God loves you and he'll never stop. And that day, that whole village came to Christ. Amazing story. It's the power of loving our enemies. It's the power that gets released when we bless those who persecute us. It increases rage or allows the space for the spirit to expose the blackness of people's hearts. Now, I want to just apply this to us. By the way, I'll post it on the Chant Community page. The best book on forgiveness that Lou and I have read is by Tim Keller, who died recently, uh, called Forgiveness and uh, Forgive. Uh, and we will put that on, because this is excruciating. I'm not saying it's easy. But I just want just to apply this to church, because the last time I spoke, went round to one of your houses and looked in your garden shed. None of you had a machete. <laughs> and I want to apply this to us because we're not living in quite such an extreme violent situation as Central Africa. But it's about our hearts, isn't it? So I want to give you two things uh, just as we sort of bring this, um, draw this to a close. One is called the circle of unity. And one is called the broken circle of division. So could I have three people who haven't got that sweaty hands? Um, because you're going to need to hold hands. Yeah, Belinda, you want to come? Louise? Yep, thank you. Brilliant. Yeah, Helen. Could you guys just gather around the cross and hold hands? Maybe one of you come out. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Brilliant. Now, this is a picture of what happens when we open our hearts to Jesus. He brings us into a family purchased through his precious blood. And even just where two or three are gathered, he promises to be right in the middle of us. Now, these are all lovely, 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 lovely people. So I can't imagine this for a second. But but living in a community, living in a church family, it would be very, very, very unlikely if we didn't bump into each other and upset each other and offend each other and there'd be stuff going on. So can you imagine, Belinda runs the kitchen and uh, can you imagine um, a situation where Helen came in and she had, she had sort of three cups of coffee on a Sunday morning. She sat down here. She's got a flag. She's got a water bottle. <laughs> she's got more than one flag. Um, multiple flags, uh, which we absolutely love. <laughs> and she has three cups on the floor. And do you know what? She never takes them back to the kitchen. Can you believe it? That's a terrible sin, isn't it? Can you imagine? And she leaves them and she goes out after church and she leaves them under her chair for someone to kick over and for someone else to clear up and for someone else to sort out. And do you know what? Helen's not on the kitchen team. She's not, you know, she never helps pack the dishwasher and all of those. It's really, and so Belinda now is starting to rage. 
Now, Belinda's not telling anybody, but she is pumping now. It's like, it's people like Helen leaving their coffee mugs who just destroy this church. You know, and if everybody did it, then, wouldn't it, you know, all of those things. And it's going on. Now, because we're in a circle of unity, when Belinda, if Belinda can't get over this and forgive this, when Belinda comes to deal with this, all she needs to do is look Helen in the eye and she's holding hands, and she says to her, hey, Helen, can I just talk to you about something? You know those coffee mugs for the last 846 weeks of church you've left under your chair? <laughs> that all those ministry times I've had to forgive you. <laughs> I just wanted to fess up and tell you why. Um, I just wanted to say, please, could you just bring them back to the kitchen? It would really help my team, and, you know, it's hot in church at the moment, da-da-da-da. And Helen goes, do you know what? I'm so sorry. I was under the impression that no one was drinking coffee at this church. So I didn't want you to feel bad about yourself. So I had three cups every morning. And I went home and had to have a lie down because I was absolutely buzzing. And, 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 and do you know what? Someone told me that the team feel like they haven't got much to do because no one's drinking coffee. And so I left them under my chair just to make them feel valid and have an important role in the church. And Belinda goes, oh, that makes total sense. And they're looking at one another. They talk about it. And it's all good. It's dealt with. Does this make sense? Okay. Should we try the broken circle of division? Let's have a da-da-da. All right. Come onto the floor, everybody. Come onto the floor. So, now, could you do the same um, and all hold hands? And, all right, and let's take ourselves back to the situation. Belinda's raging now. She's absolutely raging, running this kitchen. No one thanks me and all of that. <laughs> and um, Belinda decides not to talk to Helen because we don't like, really like that. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Well, every nation we ever go to and... The Longs, who are going to be with us at the conference, said this when we were with them uh, last. They said, every other nation knows that English people never say what they think. <laughs> so, most of us, not all of us, are English in here. So, I'm just trying to say, um, here's a growth point for all of us. <laughs> um, so let's say Belinda decides it's too awkward and um, whatever. Maybe she fears Helen will blow up at her or whatever. So Belinda decides to talk to Louise. So Belinda now turns towards Louise. Let's take a step back, everybody. Let's take a little step back. And Belinda and Helen are struggling to hold on to each other. And actually, Belinda's hand now has turned to the finger of accusation. She's telling Louise about this. Louise is wanting to be available. She's wanting to support her. But now Belinda's coming every week after church. And now Louise is thinking, well, you know, she's got all those flags, but never does anything with the... And now Louise is starting to think, Helen, and what have we got? We've got a broken chain here. And do you know who loves that access point? The accuser. The one who loves to divide and the one who loves to separate. So let's just finish on the circle of unity. The way this is maintained is twofold. They can't even see each other without seeing Jesus in the middle. 
So that reminds me, when, when, when I'm raging about someone not tidying up the coffee cups, I'm like, do you know what, Jesus? Thank you that you tidied up my coffee cups and all my mess. And I'm just going to remember your kindness and your grace before I just go to uh, offense and uh, all of that sort of stuff. But secondly, if it's not a conversation we'd be comfortable having in the presence of Jesus or with the person, we just shouldn't be having it. We just shouldn't be having it. And when we don't, that's where we preserve the circle of unity around Jesus as a church. Now, sometimes it's tricky because someone, no one will really come up and say that they're raging, first of all. They'll say, oh, I'm really struggling with this. Or I've got a few concerns about this. But it's got to be expressed to the person. And Jesus said, because sometimes I can be a bit sensitive. I don't know if anybody else is here. If someone blows up, doesn't receive it, Jesus taught us in Matthew 18. Try again. Take someone with you. If that really doesn't work, get your KFC leader involved. Get, get your church leader involved. don't know if he says KFC leader. <laughs> but that's how we preserve this and we stop this coming in and we say, stay strong in the Lord. Is that all right? Which one do you want to be in? The broken circle of division? Circle of unity? Yay. It doesn't mean there won't be issues. You know, be unlikely. Well, hands up. Who here is awesome and totally perfect? Yeah, exactly. We're going to upset each other. We're going to let each other down. You know, um, I'll probably look at you in the wrong way. You'll look at me in the wrong way. We'll assume. I don't know. Our heads will make up all sorts of stuff. But the way we do it is just by speaking the truth in love. And Ephesians 4, which is where that verse comes from, says, and that's how we grow into maturity into Christ in him. All right? Thanks, you three. Let's give him a round of applause. Galatians 5.19 says this. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery. That's bad stuff, isn't it? Enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. That's next to fornication. I'm warning you, Paul says in Galatians 5. As I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yowzers. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. None of us can do this without the mercy that is lavished on us by Jesus. And when I get raging, it's because I've taken my eyes off the incredible mercy that's been released to me by the Lord Jesus at the cross. Undeserved, unmerited, thrown away on every occasion. But when I look at him, 
and look how he gave himself for us. And what I love about Jesus, he doesn't give us a moral virtue that he doesn't practice. Because Jesus went to the cross and he's consistently blameless, innocent, gracious, truthful in the face of severe provocation and accusation. And in the face of that, the rage increases. And even when they're nailing him to the cross, we're going to read this in about six months' time. Luke 23. Luke makes sure we don't miss this, that Jesus himself prays to the Father and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the heart of Jesus. Even when I don't know what I'm doing, Jesus was praying as my sins were nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when he gave his last breath, the centurion, a man outside of the people of God, a man unsaved, without any knowledge of God, to our knowledge, overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus, the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. As he observed the mercy and the grace at the cross, the blackness of his own heart and the revelation of the goodness of God and the mercy of Jesus was revealed. Surely this man was the son of God. So, Lord, give us your heart And by his Holy Spirit, he will, because he loves to do that. And this is the way that we can preserve the unity of the Spirit, preserve our fellowship, and grow into maturity and strength in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.